Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. There you go. Now it is recording. All right. Now are we recording? Yes. Yes, we are. All right. So we don't know how this is going to go. This is the first time ever recording on Zoom. So um, my sister from another mister is going to be is teaching me how to do all this happy stuff. So I'm truly grateful. I know I think we only have like 35, 40 minutes on Zoom. Is that correct? I believe it's like a 40 minute um, session, but I don't know. I've gone longer before. So, okay. You know. but- so tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, guys. Well, by the way, welcome to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is the only person I've had on three separate occasions. Truly amazing person. Uh, somebody that I consider a sister, Miss Tammy Moses, United States veteran and kick-ass podcaster and business owner, and she's changing the world one home at a time. How are you doing today? Well, thank you so much for having me on here, and I'm happy to be figuring out this uh, platform as well as you're helping me figure out Clubhouse. So it's mutually veteran, <laughs> veteran brother sister. Uh, beneficial. So I really appreciate you taking the time and talking with me today. Well, it's been an interesting day. I, you know, just released Justin's interview, and I, I think that was a that was a pretty a pretty great in- interview. Uh, he, he's a truly amazing individual. It was a great interview. I actually just finished listening to it about twenty minutes ago, and yeah. I was like, "Well, how cool is that that I get to hear Richard and Justin talking just before I come on here and talk with you?" So. Um, I really appreciate the the work he does and the perspective around, you know, making sure you know what your audience, who your audience is, you know, otherwise, yeah. how can you market properly or attract them properly? So congratulations is in order. I see you have another member of the family. <laughs> yes, your favorite critter, a cat. <laughs> oh, you know me. We're, there's never enough cats when there's a Chinese restaurant around. So. <laughs> I saw your perspective on that, and I can appreciate it. <laughs> uh, the only thing, I mean, I love cats. I'm just allergic to them. That's so. I, I oh sneeze. well, that's but a would, problem then. <laughs> yeah, I would have one if if I. My wife wants. My daughter wants one. I wish I could, but just being allergic is not going to happen. So, so well, tell you know, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, a little bit of where you came from, and because you know, I want to know the person behind the microphone and why you do what you do today. So I just want to say I can appreciate the cat allergy situation. I have a friend who wanted a cat for years and she couldn't get one because her husband had allergies. So um, it, it really is a valid point, you know, that people end up wanting things they can't have because of the respect in their family. So that's yep. uh, anyway. Um, So I'm Tammy Moses. I grew up in Port Angeles, Washington. Um, I eagerly awaited the day when I could get out of there. (laughs) And mostly I wanted to travel and do things and see places that I'd either heard about or read or 
seen, you know, uh, on movies or TV or whatever. So um, I en enlisted in the Navy my senior year of high school so I could, that was kind of my exit strategy at that point. Um, now you, you grew up in, like I did, in a hoarding situation, correct? Yes, it, but it was kind of strange because I don't recall it being that way early on. And there's a part of me that questions if I like, did I block it out or was it really not as noticeable at that point? And so initially I lived in town, uh, my parents and my brother and I, and we moved to a one room cabin for about four years because my dad wanted us to have that roughing it experience. And he was born in a small cabin in Minnesota. So for him, there was like this idyllic perspective on this and <clears throat> during that time he was building a house and so it was once we moved into the house that like we got all the things out of the storage unit that had been there and moved them into the house and that's kind of when the clutter started but I wouldn't say immediately it was a, like a hoarding goat path situation but it was definitely cluttered definitely kind of embarrassing because you couldn't really explain the mess away. Like, how come there's still boxes sitting in your living room? Well, <laughs> I can't move them because A, I'm a kid and B, it's very traumatizing for the people here for me to move things around. And so, but what I found interesting is that there's a lot of people who will say things like, well, why don't you just clean it up? And you're like, I'm 12. Like, how is this my responsibility? I get chores like taking care of the animals and washing the dishes, but that's different than why don't you clean up, you know, 900 boxes that are sitting in the living room that aren't yours. Um, so, and you also weren't the only child at this time either, right? No, I had a younger brother uh, named Daniel and uh, he had Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. So he ended up being in a wheelchair by, about age 13 and so his mobility was very limited already by being in a wheelchair but then also more limited by not being able to access more than like three rooms of the house and there was a time when the house got cleaned out because he was having major back surgery and in order for him to come home the house needed to be cleaned out and that happened um I was not present for 95% of it, but I was present for the aftermath when my mom and brother came home and she discovered that newspapers and things had been burned. And um, it was very difficult for her because she didn't know what was going to happen. And there's this real sense of loss and grief for the person with the hoarding issue. But I also want to mention that it wasn't just my mom, it was my dad also. And they're hoarding, like they co-hoarded to the point of a few years ago, my dad was actually removed from the hoard and placed in a nursing facility. And he lived there for three years before he died. But thank God EMS came in there and saw what was going on. And basically he was not able to return to the home after they pulled him out of there. And he was a very stubborn person and people had tried to intervene earlier, including me. And, you know, there's this point where that person's still allowed to live however they want. And so 
you just kind of operate under that until there's a crisis, which one of the people, when you were asking for questions that we should ask, you know, or what should we talk about? One of the people, uh, Marisa, she's out of Dallas, Fort Worth, and she does hoarding cleanup, but she had a great point, which was the fact that people have a hoarding issue and they're in denial until there's a crisis and then something happens. So they're either removed from the home, if there's a fire, you know, they maybe can't return to it. If there's um, a fall, you know, and now they're hospitalized, maybe they go to a, a care facility to recover. And so there's a real need for us to ha be having more earlier mitigation conversations and interventions around this issue because for most people it would be horrifying to find out your dad landed in the hospital but for me it was a sense of relief because i knew that someone else had seen that situation and despite my attempts to assist um it was that outside intervention that caused there to be a change in his living situation i wouldn't the hoarding didn't change but he was removed from it uh, it's amazing when you think about, because um, nobody ever thinks about if there's a fire and first responders have to get into a, a place like that, that their own lives are in danger because there's so much stuff that catches fire, newspapers, boxes, and it can, it can really get into a really dangerous uh, situation that nobody ever really thinks about until, you know, they got to start kicking indoors and then they, they find, oh my God, I got to get through all this crap to get to somebody, you know? And sometimes you can't get in. You can't get in a normal door. You might not be able to get in a window. You, I had a friend who has passed away and was a firefighter in California. But when I first started talking about this as a public health issue or talking about hoarding at all, he told me the story of them having to cut open a roof to get a woman out of a hoarded home. And that was the only way they could get in to get to her. And I've talked to first responders at different events and things, and people tear up with the, the fact that they were not able to rescue someone. And I feel like this aspect of how hoarding impacts our first responders is something that we really need to be talking about more because it shows up for them with PTS or you know anxiety or depression. It, because their DNA is to save, to rescue. And if you can't even get in, you can't do it. But at what point do you not risk your own life for someone who is choosing more or less to be in that environment? And the fire burns hotter and the trajectory changes when the more stuff that you have. And a lot of times they might be able to get in, but then how do they get out? Because they're prepared to go in very linear, very get the person, come back out. And if you are in an avalanche situation or you're on a goat path, as it's called, you have a much harder time getting out of that space again. And in the news recently, there's been people who've actually died in their hoarded home and people didn't even know like that they had died for several days. And um, it's just terrible to me to think people are suffering so much in their heads that they are at a point where they accept no help, they don't think they have a problem, and they die in their stuff. And I am calling it suicide by stuff because I think a lot of us find different ways to drown our trauma or drown our sorrow. And 
hoarding and the stuff itself is just a symptom of other things that are going on and haven't been addressed. And, and you know, that, that was my next question. Um, you know, since we had that, um, the last two meetings on Cubhouse, kind of like just, pew, the last one was like crazy how many people showed up and how many uh, conversations that we had. But, you know, I think like what you talk about is, you know, hoarding is just, you know, the end result, but what are the symptoms that cause the people to start hoarding? So what are some of the things that you've seen? Because I know like 10 years ago, if you heard somebody was a hoarder, you'd be like, what the hell is that? But it's become more, <laughs> common, you know, but so talk to us. You know, it was like Lisa asked a question. Lisa Hearing actually asked a question. Um, what's the difference between having too much stuff and hoarding? So if you can just give me a little bit of clinical breakdown. <laughs> so the way that I look at it is a lot of us have stuff, right? A lot of us have That's something. <laughs> I have books. I have little elephant figurines, you know, and so I, I would like to say that it's relatively normal to have some kind of something that you collect or that's important to you. And the, the main difference is if you have a collection of something, like you probably keep it clean and organized, it's on display, you actually welcome people to admire whatever it is you have versus hoarding where it's in general, it's not kept clean, it's not organized, things are very jumbled and you can't really use your space as it's intended. And so like if your um, bathtub has become a storage unit for all your newspapers and your extra clothes and your shoes and you are no longer able to use that facility like it's intended, it's more than likely you've got an issue going on that is making it impossible for you to live in your space. Um, and so it's important to recognize when you start having this overflow, because a lot of times the clients I've worked with, a lot of them did not start out with hoarding. There was some other medical issue that caused them to no longer to be able to maintain their space. Things would fall on the floor and they could no longer pick it up. They could not bend over, so it would stay there and more things would fall. And now they have more of a trip hazard and more things that just keep piling up. And then there's so much shame and pain and guilt that they don't reach out for help because they will, they feel like they will have be shamed. And then there's a fear. If you have kids in the home, if you have government agencies involved, now the kids are going to get ripped away from you. But on the other side, how long do you let something like that go on before you intervene in some way? So really it's about, I would say almost a balance of, can you use your space as you need to? And then how, you know, how much is the rest of that stuff impeding your life? And it, if it's not impeding your life, and so you most likely are doing fine, but Another aspect of that is if you live with someone and you might, the clutter might not bother you, but it might really bother your partner. There's a lot of relationship friction that comes up in these situations. And so if you're really concerned about it or it's really triggering for you, it's, you need to ha be having that conversation about, you know, hey, I want to use the shower and your newspapers are in the way. So 
you know, we need to find a compromise. Yeah, I was gonna, <laughs> that was going to be my next question because, you know, a lot of people that are going to watch this, that are going to see this, um, they might not be in the horde, but they know somebody that is in the horde. Um, and how does a person go about talking to somebody instead of going in and be like, hey, you got way too much shit? You know, how do you go about saying, you know, um, that there might be an issue? How do you go about saying it? Because, like, you know, a lot of people, like when I was in my recovery, my, my drug addiction, if somebody says you're an addict, of course, you're going to lash out and it's going to get nasty. So how does somebody approach somebody that is in a horde to try to maybe get them some help? So I think in part, it depends on what your existing relationship already is with that person. And hopefully... Let me rephrase that. If you have a relationship with that person, I would say it's important to honor that aspect. And a, a few ways that you can kind of broach it are, you know, I'm concerned about your safety in this space. And, you know, I, I'd like to make sure that you have a path that you can clearly get from your couch to the bathroom, something like that. And be, but don't walk in and say, hey, I'm here today and I brought my contractor bags and I'm throwing it all out. Like it's very ineffective and re-traumatizing for them to have someone come in with that kind of attitude. But find my suggestion is find that connecting point. It, like, and so if it's a family member, you've already got that emotional connection and it might be really challenging to try to overcome any of your own personal trauma if you grew up in it or that person's trauma who hasn't dealt with it. A lot of people that hoard have not dealt with any of those underlying issues, which is why the problem remains. But finding, even just in the beginning, having conversations can make all the difference. You know, what's the name of your cat? Tell me about this picture. Um, how come you have, you know, this many purses? What's the story behind this one? Like find ways to connect um, with them as a human being. Granted, you're probably noticing this stuff and not really comfortable in the space, but when you recognize that it's not just the stuff that you're dealing with a human being, um, you can make that personal connection. And that is where I would say to start. I mean, even if you know they like hot chocolate or hot cider or, um, you know, a certain kind of soda or whatever, like you can find ways to start having those conversations. And I'm thinking more in the terms of family members, because sometimes you're going to have, say, real estate folks like property management's going to come across this and they're going to be like, what is this and what do I do? And still, it is about um, making that connection, but it's more likely you're going to have to force things to move forward. And it's important to include that person that has the hoarding issue in those planning sessions and conversations, though, so that they can learn how to process their stuff. The problem no. is it's, there's, it's very expensive to spend that amount of time working with someone to sort their things. So there's some other ways we can approach that as well. But. So now, you know, because I know that, you know, from addiction circles, because that's what I know, you know, I got a PhD in drug addiction. So, <laughs> and alcoholism. And recovery. Yeah. So it seems like, that um, if like if, if a parent is an alcoholic and there are two children, you know, they got two children, uh, one child will either say, well, 
I don't drink because of the way my mother drank. Or any other child will say, I do drink because my that's the way my mother drank. Mm-hmm. So do people that have been in the horde, is it can it you see a lot of generational? Does it pass on from generation to generation? So what I have found is that trauma is generational and it's repeated. And I find that the majority of the underlying reasons for hoarding have a lot to do with some sort of trauma. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it'll start like um, a TBI or some other kind of a stroke or something like that will cause that. Um, But in general, I see a lot of people who have um, aged out of foster care, um, grew up in some kind of chaotic, addictive situation and hoarding becomes a coping mechanism because the stuff won't hurt them like people will. And it kind of becomes a blanket over them. And I have found people either go minimal, like they don't want a lot of stuff and like they can't stand a crumb on their floor. Uh, You have people kind of middle of the road, which is kind of where I sit, where like I can look at clutter for a while, but not long, like it, it has to, something has to move. And then you have people that do actually hoard because that's what they see, that's what they knew, and they don't realize they can have another path. And I, and I find that people don't feel like they're worthy. They don't feel like they deserve a clean space, clean clothes, good food, like whatever trauma has happened to them makes them feel less than. And so therefore they don't choose more positive outcomes. And I have seen in my own family, and I had no idea at 13 that I was seeing what my parents' house would look like, you know, 10 years from then, that hoarding is is very generational and it can show up in clusters in families. And so my mom, my grandma, two aunts and a great grandma all have this issue. On my dad's side, apparently I had a great grandfather that had this issue. And so I find it alarming and odd that two people from two lines of that got together. But then again, it's not that odd because I think they're, well, I know there's something called a trauma bond. And so that trauma bond bring, can bring people together. And some people don't really find, don't take the tack that hoarding is an addiction, but there are so many similarities and so many similar chaotic dysfunctions that it's so parallel. Like if you're actively hoarding, you're not recognizing the harm you're causing to you and your family. You're in the same, if you're very much in alcohol or drug, you're not aware of the impact you're having on the people that are around you. And I find that hoarding is a lot about denial, a lot about why I don't really have a problem. Uh, Why is everybody telling me I do? Well, because all the people that love you and care about you are noticing that this is a problem. That's why. And it's, it's very isolating to live in that. And it's very, um, as a kid growing up in it, it's very isolating. You can't have your friends over. You don't want anybody to know where you live. Um, you might, your clothes might smell. Um, you know, you, you, there's all these socially isolating factors that hoarding causes. And, you know, when you hear kids run away from home, right? I always want to know why, why did that kid run away? And is it really in their best interest for them to go back? 
depending on what is going on in that home. And I'm, I'm always curious to know, you know, is there a reason why they ran away? And should we be addressing that as well as the fact that they did run away? So I just, I felt like I wanted to be a runaway as a teenager, but I also was involved with a church and I did mission trips and did a lot of these things. And those were some of my coping mechanisms I have figured out to stay away from the horde. I figured out what my parents would let me do. And then I did it massively. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that was like a thing. I didn't even realize that that was what I was doing at that time. And now part of the reason I talk about this now is because I want people to know that there are ways that you can cope and you can get out of there and you don't have to repeat it, you know? Um, and so I never thought I'd talk about this publicly or share stories or pictures or start a podcast. Like that's insane. There's no way I would have done that. But then I figured out how many people are dealing with it and how isolating it was for me and how they need to know that there is a way to get out of there. And I just feel like in the US, it's estimated 19 million people have a hoarding problem. So that's a lot of people. And if you pretend they only impact one person, which we know they impact far more than that, that's a lot of people that are struggling and trying to figure out what to do. And, yeah. you know, I grew up in the horde. We've talked about that before. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my mother was a hoarder and, um, you know, she would spend all this money on hair products and, and it was all sitting in bags, but we couldn't afford air conditioning. You know, it's mm. like, I got 15 bottles of Pearl shampoo and conditioner, but we can't afford it. But and that's you know, a, you know, financially, that's a huge, yeah. it takes a huge toll. People will have storage units packed full of stuff to the tune of hundreds of dollars a month and they can't afford rent because they're paying storage fees on all their stuff. And that that is just an example of the distorted thinking that's going on, you know, where you have excessive amounts of stuff, like you've got 15 bottles of shampoo, but you could really use a new pair of shoes. Like, you know, there's this disconnect between, um, between that. And uh, I would say it's that also people tend to think hoarding is about abundance and having enough, but I actually think it's about lack and fear of never having enough. And that fear is what drives the situation, not this feeling of I'm abundant and I have plenty. Um, no, you know, like my mother, like I said, she was in the horde and then she went to a 12 step program. God help, she's been clean and sober from everything for mm -hmm. 20 years. But she went wow. that to the other extreme to now she's like, okay, I have one plate, one bowl, one scoop, you know, one spoon, one fork, one knife. I have one of everything that I need and nothing else. And you're like, wait a minute. First you have enough. And then we got to worry about rationing out toilet paper and paper towels. So but see, then there's the fear that they may return to it. So they just keep it very minimal. But, you know, th that's kind of the other side of it where, you can go to the other extreme and then it can be very uncomfortable for any guests that you might have. And 
But I also understand, like I've downsized to like, I have a set of plates plus two, you know? And so, but I also am a proponent of paper plates, which by the way, are meant to be used and thrown away in case you happen to have a hoarding issue and you're hearing this, they are not meant to be kept and wiped off and reused for days at a time. <laughs> and I have personally had to educate some people in my life about the fact that this is a disposable item for a reason. And that can be very triggering for people who really want to re reuse things. Anyway, side note. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, everybody knows that knows me that, you know, I have my amigos, you know, you, Mark, Daniel, Kurt, um, though you guys are my, you know, you're, you guys are my inner circle. And, you know, we, we all met and we all went to the diner at Mick DC. And it's amazing how all of our lives have blossomed since that time. But our relationship started out or ended out with a piece of birthday cake and your podcast being scribbled out on a napkin. And now look at all the great things you're doing. So would you mind talking about how, you know, what you're doing now and how it all got started? So <laughs> the funny thing about uh, getting to DC was I like pieced it together, right? We, we as small business folks, or like we're trying to figure out how to make ends meet sometimes in the beginning. And I pieced it together, you know, I was like, okay. Instead of being overwhelmed, I was like, all right, I need somewhere to stay, got it. Okay, next thing, I need a flight, got it. And I just kind of pieced it together over about a month, you know, of figuring out money and all that. And at the time, my boyfriend's like, I don't even know why you need to go to Washington, DC. I said, I just, I have to go. Like, I know I have to go, that's it. There was that knowing, you know, that inner voice. And I wasn't always good about listening, but I'm very grateful I did this time. And so <clears throat> I, my phone died the morning of, my trip. So I traveled across the country with no working cell phone, which was very weird given our times in 2019. Um, but thankfully I had a laptop. When I got there, I asked for help feeling very unprepared as a female veteran saying, hey guys, I need some help. And I'm very grateful that people didn't give me a lot of crap. They just said, how can I help? One guy showed up, took me to Verizon. You know, we got it straightened out. And it was a turning point for me to realize that people cared about me. And um, we all ended up at the diner, like you said, talking about everything. And I'm pretty, I think it was Mark that started the cake idea and um, kind of this birthday cake situation for my non-birthday. But I honestly look at that as the birth of the podcast idea it was sketched out on a napkin, not by me initially. <laughs> and it kind of grew from there. But I will say it took me some time to accept that I could have something like a podcast, like a platform that would give voice to this situation. And Robert Garcia was the first guest uh, that helped me launch. And he, his grandmother had a hoarding issue. So, um, I was honored that he was willing to start this little fledgling podcast off. But um, 
what I have found in the hashtag I use is hashtag AKOPTH for adult kids and parents that hoard and also hashtag YLITH, youth living in the hoard. There's a few other hashtags that are about being the adult kid, adult child of hoarders, children of hoarders, but I really wanted something to differentiate the fact that I'm now an adult and I'm dealing with a parent that hoards, which is different than being a minor kid living in that hellhole. So um, I just feel like, and I know that part of my purpose is to talk about this, to address it as a public health crisis, which it is, and to figure out how to leave some kind of legacy once I'm gone, you know? And the point of it is to create something that goes forward for years to help people figure out a way to deal with this, this particular issue. And all sides need to win. All sides need to be heard, including the adult kids. And I feel it's very unfair societally that it's assumed the kid's gonna step in and fix it. Um, as an adult and dealing with an adult parent? Like, how do you fix it when they will not let you? How do you fix it when they don't think they have a problem? And a lot of times you're not the right person to intervene because of the emotional stuff, because of your own trauma. And I tell people when I'm consulting with them, when they're concerned about their parents, like, how are you? And people are like, what? How are you? How are you doing? How are you filling your cup? How's your mental health? Is this going to screw up the relationship you have with your husband or your spouse or significant other or your own children you're trying to raise? How about your own health? Can you afford to go into this mold infested rat crawling situation? It's not always that severe, but you have to really stop and think, can you personally afford this on a multitude of levels? And sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no, and boundaries really can make a difference in determining how much involvement you can actually have. So what kind of reactions have you got? Guys, and guys, if you're listening to this, you got a piece of paper, write down the Hoarding Solution podcast. It's available on Anchor and a lot of other platforms. So what has been some of your people that have listened, what are some of their reactions to your podcast? So some people are um, very grateful that someone is talking about this problem from the perspective of a loved one, a kid, an adult. Um, I really haven't had yet a lot of negative response to it. Um, well, that's yesterday. I kind of had a negative response, but they always say that you know you're on the right track if you start getting some haters. So um, periodically I've had people in different industries who are like, hey, you know, uh, you're not focused on the hoarder person. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I have done the work. I recognize the issue and I'm very supportive of their journey, but there's a lot of other people, I now call them the peripheral people that are impacted by this and frequently see the problem way before the person with the hoarding issue does. And so primarily people I've interviewed are people in our inner circle and people who have experienced this. There's a few that do this work themselves um, with junk removal or outright buying the home. 
and doing the work and making sure the important items are returned to the family. Um, plus people have written books like James McNeil and Joel Stewart. And I know you have a book and you've been on the podcast. So, um, but we also look at what are the veteran issues? What are the mental health issues, the trauma, the suicidal ideation? Um, there's so much of this mental health piece that is involved in hoarding and it crosses every line, you know? It's like alcohol or drug use. It, it's not specific to someone thinking, someone living in a gutter under a cardboard box. Like that is a myth. It's a, it's a terrible stigma to need help and feel so ashamed that you won't ask for it, no matter what struggle you're having. And I honestly will say three years of therapy, thank God, um, helped me get into alignment with who I really was. And without that, I would not be sitting here today having this conversation. Um, it's kind of an aside, but I, ha I filed for a necessary divorce. You know, it's been over a decade now, but that was the beginning of healing for me. And it was a very necessary situation I needed to get out of. And people need to be recognized for their life-saving decisions, not judged for the fact that you don't think that's a viable choice. Um, and so it's, I feel like my role is to kind of have that unpopular opinion. Like, I don't know if you watch JD's show <laughs> yeah. and Kat, where they have a segment about having an unpopular opinion. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, but there's a part of me that it's kind of fun to be shaking it up a little bit because how many people have something difficult, sorry, my alarm, um, happening and they don't have a voice or a say so like that's insane to me that you can't have a dissenting opinion yeah. about the things that really matter to you and i just think it's important to to recognize that it's all right and it's viable to have a slightly different perspective than your parents or the way you were raised or whatever you know yep now the last two questions that i asked everybody um you know, um, by the way, congratulations. And you and Robert just released another episode of Shift Magazine. Great. Uh, yes, work. coming out this week. Yay. So I just want to give you a shout out for doing that. Um, how do we find you? How can we get in touch with you? Where can we hear your podcast? Tell us how we can support your mission. Well, I thank you for letting me share. And so my main website is thehoardingsolution.com. And on Facebook and Instagram, I'm at The Hoarding Solution. I'm just figuring out the clubhouse thing, and I'm at Tammy Moses Biz. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm Tammy Moses, T-A-M-M-I-M-O-S-E-S. -M -M -I, I also have a hoarding solution community where people are welcome to join who are looking at um, how to look at this dish issue differently, how to look at creating... Um, solutions that are pre-crisis if you will um i'm trying to think i have a link tree <laughs> that has a lot of links but i'm also on linkedin um and i'm happy to connect with people and i'm i'm now taking clients for coaching clients who are looking for like monthly support uh because sometimes that's what you need you need someone where you can come and talk to them and share what's happening and also have a plan so you know what you're doing. Um, I, you know, I 
I love that, you know, that, and that was something that, you know, Stephen Kuhn always talks about is, you know, if you don't have a plan, well, you know, if you don't have a business plan, you do not have a business, you have a hobby. And I love how, you know, I love how he talks about that. And, you know, and sometimes the plan has to change. Like your podcast has changed over the last mm-hmm. year. Now I'm seeing not just hoarding, but different, you know, di- different authors and speakers talking about mental health. So it's really growing. So sometimes you have to pivot, but still stay in your same niche, but kind of grow that niche also, you know? And I think you learn as you're going, right? Like I didn't really recognize how trauma played such a role in this until I started having more conversations and uh, and with clients I had worked with, like their stories of how they ended up where they were. And I was just like, this is horrifying, the things they went through as kids. And then the long, and a lot of times it's long-term health challenges like cancer or some kind of other long-term illness that shakes up your whole world. And honestly, the last thing on your mind is, oh, I need to wash the dishes today. You know, um, there's people that talk about how many spoons do you have if you have a long-term illness and you figure out every day how many spoons you have to devote to whatever task is at hand. And I find the same way for people who, whatever you're dealing with, you only have so much energy, however you divide that up. And sometimes the fact that you put on clothes today is an accomplishment. And like Annette, one of our other podcasting friends, Annette Wittenberger talks about, it's okay to not be okay. And I think it's valid for us to recognize that some days we aren't going to be 100%. We just aren't. But knowing A, what triggers you and B, what can bring you out of that funk is really valuable. And shameless plug for her. Annette Wittenberger has an amazing podcast called The Truth We Hide Behind. Definitely check it. she just released a book. Yeah. So, you know. (laughs) She's doing a lot of great things. Last question that I ask everybody, you know, we still live in a COVID world. You know, we still have in New Jersey here, a lot of people lost their jobs. So we got parents that are, driving Uber, DoorDash, you know, got grandkids, grandparents that are homeschooling grandkids. Um, So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if there's somebody that's listening to this um, or watching this, however you consume your social media, and they know somebody in their family or themselves, and they want to get help, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to get help? So first, I would say if you are confined, as many of us are still for whatever reason, um, figure out what self-help step you can take. And I often people say they're overwhelmed, and I find that no matter what they might have not have hoarding at all, but they are overwhelmed. It's a word I hear a lot. So pick one thing um, that is bugging you and deal with it. I'm going to use this example, which is start with the kitchen sink. If that is something that bothers you, wash the dishes, unload the dishwasher, reload the dishwasher, run that baby when you're sleeping. And the next morning while the coffee's brewing, 
unload it, and then throughout your day, rinse your dishes and stick them in the dishwasher. And uh, it is a practice that I do not always succeed at, but let me tell you, one of my pet peeves is nasty dishes in the sink. <laughs> and so I make a point of trying to do that on a regular basis. And it can be, and if you're sorting something, if you're like, I need to go through five boxes, take one box, take it to a different room and sort it. Keep, donate, discard. Just keep it simple. And, but start small. You do not have to sort an entire home or a house in a day. So don't beat yourself up over it and start small. That sounds amazing. And by the way, this, this episode was sponsored by a little uh, podcast called The Hoarding Solution. So <laughs> I want to thank you. You have been a friend of the show from day one, and you were the first guest ever on the show. And I just want to say thank you for always being there and being supportive. Thank you. And thank you as well. I, I would not have a podcast today without the support of my amigos. So I am very grateful for the connections that we have. All right, guys. So if you, if you like this episode, please leave us a comment, um, share this episode and leave us a review on all your social media, whether it's iTunes, whatever you listen to this, leave a review and share this. If you know somebody that's in the horde. All right, guys, have a great day. Remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is butt. Up. <laughs> All right, I stopped the video. So I think that that went swimmingly. I show that it's still recording. Okay, so I stopped mine, so I don't know what that means. So I guess we're going to have to log off and end, and we'll see how it works out. Thank you so much for everything. I really appreciate you. And whenever it gets live, I'll send it to you. Yes, okay? please. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. All right, God bless. All right, you too. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.